it's always a question of, did I remember to get the right gift? And some of you are right now thinking, oh, I forgot somebody. Um, when we think about gift giving, though, sometimes have you ever gotten or given the gift that is just completely wrong? I mean, it's, it's not like you got another tie and you have 100 ties. It's, it's not like you got socks and you got enough socks. It's like you got or gave something that just doesn't fit at all. I remember at a previous church, we had a deaf ministry, and um, it was, was wonderful that one morning a, a man came forward and, and gave his life to Jesus, and through our interpreter, I was able to pray with him and communicate with him. But at the end of the time, I wanted to give him something to help him along, and so I gave a deaf man a cassette tape. See, that's, that's of no use to him. doesn't work at all. I thought, and the the interpreter said, he's deaf, not blind. I thought, sometimes gifts don't work. And sometimes gifts have the right heart, but they're really not terribly useful. Or maybe they're not useful at all. There's there's an old story written by O. Henry back in the early 1900s. You know the story of the gift of the Magi? And you can already start crying thinking about it probably. But there's this this couple, and they're young, and they just got married, and he has a precious, something that's very precious. His most prized possession is a, a pocket watch that had been passed down from his, his family to him. And it's a, it's a precious pocket watch. It has no chain, though. And, and she has beautiful long hair. And for Christmas, he thinks, I, I'm going to get her these beautiful tortoiseshell combs to adorn her hair. It's, it's going to be incredible. It's, it's just going to be so great. But I have no money. I think I'll sell my most prized possession, my watch, to buy her those combs. And, and she, thinking that I want to buy him something that, that would mean a lot to him, she actually decides she's going to buy him a chain for his watch, and it's going to be so precious and so wonderful, and, and that the only money that she can generate is she sells her hair to buy the chain for his watch. And so on Christmas, they give each other the gift, And she realizes, I have no hair for the combs. I have no watch for the chain. But they're so happy that they cared enough to buy such a wonderful gift. But it's such a stupid story because now they have worthless gifts. Right? I mean, it's nice to have the right attitude and the right heart. That's good. And the sacrifice is amazing. But now they've got gifts that don't work at all. It's sweet. It's sweet. Wouldn't it be great if they could actually use them? I guess that's the engineer in me. I want something to actually actually work. See, God gives us a gift that's so precious, that meets our greatest and deepest needs. It's not just about God having the right heart. It's about God giving us the exact right That's what Christmas is all about. God is the greatest gift giver of all time. So we're in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, and we're going to talk about the announcement of Christmas. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. We're going to look at an angel speaking to the shepherds. Now, this is where we're at in the story, right? Mary and Joseph have 
have gotten officially engaged, which meant at that time that was your commitment. If you got your broken engagement, that was a divorce. And so they're, they haven't come together physically. They don't live together. And so there's this period of time. It's like six months to a year where you prepare for the marriage. And the angel comes to Mary and says, you're going to have a child of the Holy Spirit. And she says, oh, wow, that's crazy. And he says, but he's going to be the son of the Most High. He's going to take the throne of David. And she says, may it be unto me as you have said. And Joseph, hearing that Mary's pregnant, is like, I'm out of here. I'm going to quietly divorce her and not try to embarrass her. And the angel comes to him in a dream and says, Joseph, go ahead and marry her. It's going to be amazing. She will have a son. You'll call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Mary goes ahead and takes her. They get they complete the marriage. And Joseph has to go to Bethlehem to be registered about a five day trip uh, to get to Bethlehem to be registered by the Roman government. And he has to take Mary because it's getting close to the time. They arrive, there's no place to stay, and so they likely stay in, they knock on the door of a relative because this is his uh, family's hometown. But the only place they have is essentially what would be like a half of a one-car carport. It's just a really a pen for some household livestock, like maybe a goat, a lamb, maybe a few chickens, maybe something like that. That's, that's all that they have to stay in. And that's where the baby is born, and she wraps the baby in essentially rags. That's a very poor um, amount of clothing that she puts on the baby, and she lays him in a feeding trough in a manger. But it's such that as you walk by on the street, you could see that a baby was born, and that's significant to the story. And we pick the story up in verse 8 of chapter 2, and it says this, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. A lot of times we think of shepherds and we kind of romanticize this because we've seen enough Christmas pageants and Christmas movies that we think of shepherds as super virtuous, wonderful, upstanding people, but that's really not the truth at all. Shepherds were not well thought of. They were mostly not allowed to worship because they were ceremonial and unclean because they were constantly dealing with livestock, the birth of lambs, that sort of thing. They were just guys working the night shift. They're just out there doing what they can do. And they, they probably don't even own the sheep. They're not wealthy. They're not influential. They're not educated. They're just regular guys working the night shift. You know, when we think of Scripture, when you read stories in Scripture, a lot of times we put ourselves in the prominent positions of the stories, right? I mean, when you read the story of Christmas, don't you kind of identify, well, if you're a woman, you identify with Mary. Oh, I can just imagine what that was like, you know, being Mary and you're birthed in Jesus. And, or if you're a man, you're like, oh, I, I, I'm Joseph. I'm going to be strong. I'm going to take care of things. I'm going to show up and I'm Joseph. But really, we should think of ourselves as shepherds. Most of us are just normal people. We're just doing our thing. We're just working the night shift. We don't deserve for any announcement. We don't deserve to know Jesus. We don't, haven't earned any of that. We don't have prominence. We don't have influence. We're just regular people working the night shift. And then verse 9 happens. It starts with night. Verse 9. 
And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. That's a lot going on. If you've ever been out in the fields at night and you have maybe gone camping away from a city and suddenly there's a great light shining in your face, it's pretty shocking. And not only that, some kind of a being, an angel appears to them. It had to be incredibly stunning. An angel appears, they know it's from God, and their fear is off the charts. They are fearfully filled with great fear is kind of a better translation of what this means. It's like the ultimate in fear, what they're experiencing. An angel of the Lord has come to show up. God's glory. This is an encounter with the living God, a messenger from God. It had to be incredibly shocking for them. Angels in the Old Testament, you remember, they, they show up and they always carry God's authority, God's power. When Moses receives the, received the law on Mount Sinai, there's an angel that goes before him. When Joshua is about to fight the battle of Jericho, there's an angel of, of the Lord that appears to him right before he's about to fight that battle. When, when Gideon is about to be chosen to be the judge that will rescue the people of Israel, there's an angel that appears to him and gives him a message from God. But also, angels would often mean God's judgment. And there's going to be a punishment. And Sodom and Gomorrah, think of those things. So angels had this incredible amount of power. And then here are shepherds who weren't incredibly godly guys. And an angel of the Lord appears. You are terrified. They're not coming to congratulate you on your good luck. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. This is an incredible turn in scripture because angels don't show up and bring great joy. That's just not what they've been doing. And really the whole Old Testament is what? It's this it's a story after story of God giving humans a great opportunity and humans failing and rebelling miserably. There's some good points in there, right? There's some obedience. There's some, some powerful things. But over and over and over again, we see that humans are, are wicked. We're not godly. We're pretty helpless. We're very sinful. And the entire Old Testament is, is that pattern of sin, judgment, repentance, restoration. But within that story of the Old Testament is the promise that one day God would send an angel. One day God would send a king that would rescue us from all this. One day that would happen. So that's what the whole Old Testament is about. And here in Luke chapter 2, we see God keeping his and no longer is God just talking about his power and greatness and, and his righteousness. Now he is going to show us his compassion and his love to bring us incredibly great joy. And that's what the angel is saying. Fear not for I bring you good news of great joy, and it's going to be for all people. Not just those who are listening at the time. It's 
everybody. And this joy, the same word is described, is used to describe joy as was used to describe fear. Here's what Luke is telling us. To the degree that the shepherds were terrified, they should be joyful to that same degree. They were in the most unbelievable fear. They should be in the most unbelievable joy. How fearful have you been? Have you experienced great fear? See, the message of Christmas is that you can experience that same level of joy. That's the gift of Christmas. You know, I, I get annoyed sometimes at Christmas. Do you ever, anybody, just honestly, just get annoyed about something at Christmas? Anybody? Anybody? Anyone's happy out here? Uh, the thing that annoys me the most is when, the t- when there's a story or there's a program on that comes on and says, you know what? And you're going to find the true meaning of Christmas. What's the true meaning of Christmas? And they're always annoyed. Because the true meaning of Christmas is always, well, it's about, you know, the sacrificial gift. Well, that's, that's good. It's about, you know, caring for people. Or it's about children or something. That's not the true meaning of Christmas. The true meaning of Christmas is that I am pathetically, desperately in need of what God is going to give me. That's the meaning of Christmas. See, if I can't get to the fact that I need him so badly because I'm like all the Old Testament characters who sin, then Christmas really doesn't mean anything. If Christmas is just an add-on to say, well, it'd be great to have some good stuff, God, thanks for bringing that, you know, it doesn't really mean anything. But if I recognize my desperation, that I'm broke down on the side of the road on a rainy night in need of someone to rescue me. That I'm in incredible pain and I know that my life isn't going to last much longer. I need someone to rescue me. That I have incredible debt and my, my financially I'm about to go under and I need someone to rescue Those are just small examples of the incredible need we have for Jesus. That's the meaning of Christmas, recognizing my need for him. I love that it's for all people, though, don't you? It wasn't just for the well-educated. It wasn't just for those who worshipped a lot. It wasn't for those who prayed a lot. It wasn't for those, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the preachers. The, it was for everybody. And it's for you, too. So how does it work? it benefit me? Verse 11. It says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, the original Greek, it, 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 it changes the order a little bit, and I think it's important for us to see it this way. It says, For is born to you this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord in the city of David. Is born to you this day. When a a child is born to you, it impacts you, doesn't it? If you've had a baby, you know. And what the angel is saying, this child, this child benefits you almost like it's your own child. This child is born unto you. It's a personal gift. When you give someone a Christmas gift, you're giving something, hopefully, that's personal for them. It's for them individually. It's for all people, but it's also for you individually. It's born to you. That's why you have to make a decision as whether or not you want to receive Jesus. For unto you this day. Oh, 
so long they've waited for this Messiah. So long waited for Jesus to save them. And now it has arrived. See, we still live really in this day. There's still opportunity today to receive Jesus. For unto you is born this day a Savior. A Savior. That word means someone who's a rescuer, someone who rescues someone from a trap, from a jail, from some impending doom. It's a Savior. And to the to the shepherds that probably thought it was going to be someone to rescue them from Rome or maybe from their employers or maybe from this hard life. But it's really just, it's a symbol of what Jesus is going to do as the angel told Joseph. He will save his people from their sins. Do you know that Jesus came to save you from your sins? If you'll trust him. He came to save people from their sins. He came to do what we could never do. Have you ever tried to make up for sins? You ever tried to do better because you hadn't done well? But you have to realize it's kind of hopeless. But Jesus came to save us from something we could never pay for. He's not just a savior from sin. He's also Christ the Lord. Christ means Messiah. It's the ultimate king, the rescuing king, the most powerful king ever, more powerful than we could imagine. He's the Lord. See, Jesus came gift to trade fear for joy, to turn the fear of God to the joy in God. And that happens when we repent of our sins and he saves us from them. And when we trust him as king. Sometimes people will say, you know, I would, I would, I would receive the gift of salvation, except I'm afraid of what Jesus might make me do in my life. I'm afraid of what I might give up. I'm afraid of the life I might have to live. I'm afraid I might get all weird or something. Did you ever hear that? I'm afraid of what I might lose. I'm afraid of what it might cost me. And I just want to say, wait a minute, let's think through this. So you're saying you'll trust Jesus with eternity, which is really, really long, but you won't trust him for these few days in heaven either. Well, I'm afraid of the pain, and I don't want to go through difficulty, and I don't want, I don't want to go through things that uh, may be awkward. And Really? See, the gift of heaven is about receiving forgiveness of sin. It's about trusting him as king over your life. You know something? He is king. Whether or not you follow him or not. And when I trust him, I'm saying, Jesus, I trust you with all of my life. Verse 12, and it says, and this the angel says, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. He says, listen, this, I can prove it to you. Go into Bethlehem. Walk down the street. You're going to see next to one of the homes in a pen. You're going to see a baby has been born, and this baby is laying in a feeding trough. He's not a wealthy king. He's an accessible king. He's available for you, verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those in whom he is well pleased. The angels have lost their minds. 
They're saying this is the highest, the greatest thing that has ever happened in the history of the world, and that God is doing something so amazing. We have to shout so loud that heaven can't hold our praise. That's how excited they get. It's as if God pulls the veil back from heaven just for a moment to see all the angels praising him in a powerful and an amazing way. Verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. The shepherds come and confirm what God has said is true. And there is great, great excitement over what God is doing. Now, let me ask you a question. Is fear reigning in your life or is joy reigning in your life? Did you come in fearful or did you come in confident? If you came in fearful, there's still really good news because God wants to replace that fear with joy when you trust in him. You can trust in him in two ways. You need to trust in him as, you need to trust him in two ways, as the one who will save you from your sin, to repent of your sin. And maybe you're fearful that maybe he won't forgive you. Let me just tell you, he will. He will. He will. Jesus came to pay the price for your sin, and he will absolutely forgive you. And maybe you've been listening to some voices in your head that said, you've done too much. Or maybe you've repented, but you don't feel forgiven. Let me just tell you, he will forgive you. He is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Trusting Jesus is trusting him with your sin. But as you do, you're also trusting him with your life. Do you trust him with your life? That's saying, Jesus, you're king. I'm going to trust you with whatever I'm going through, whatever I'm going to go through, because I know that you're king, and I want to bring you glory in my life. I'm going to trust you with my life. I'm not going to be fearful for what's going to happen, what you're going to allow to have happen. I'm going to trust you with my life. I'm going to let go of some things I've been holding on to. I'm going to let go of some fear that's been holding me back. Rob Reimer, in his book Soul Care, makes a great statement about this. He says, The number one question in the heart of people for God is, do you love him? And the number one question in the heart of God for people is, will you trust me? I have proven my love through my son. Now will you trust me? Are you trusting him? Or are you fearful? See, fear is a signal to You should not be living in constant fear. Psalm 56 says, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. It's not that fear never never enters your mind. It's just that it's a signal to say, I like God. I need to trust him. I'm afraid of my sin. I'm afraid of when I see God, what that's going to be like. Oh, wait a minute. I need to repent and trust you with my life. I'm afraid of the next thing that's going to happen. I'm afraid of suffering. I'm afraid of financial loss. I'm afraid of what's going to happen in my career. Oh, wait a minute. I need to 
trust Jesus with it. He's the king of the universe. When I trust him, I replace fear with trust. And to the degree that I was feeling, I can be joyful in that same moment. This Christmas, receive the gift from the greatest gift giver there is. It's a gift that you too should hold dear. Replace fear with joy by trusting him. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, we confess that we're fearful at times, Lord. And we're fearful and we even tremble sometimes when we approach you. We're fearful in the sense that are you really the great God that we think you are? God, would you make us make yourself so known to us, Lord Jesus, that we can't not trust you. Lord, I know that it must disappoint you when we live in fear and not in faith. But you are the great God. You are the Savior. You are the King. We want to be filled with your joy. We want to celebrate you, Lord. We want to enjoy your presence. We want to enjoy this life knowing that you have a place prepared for us, Lord, that you came and you saved us from the worst thing in the world, from something we could never solve on our own. You saved us for our sins, from our sins, and you've given us yourself as our great king. We trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Would you stand with us as we sing and present your candle, and we'll light the candles as we adore him.
Amen. Thank you so much for being a part of worship today. The question always is, what happens now? We live in fear or we live in joy. I hope today's a joyful day for you as you trust in Jesus. Julie and I have a little gift, so if you can come by the front, we've got a cookie for you to wish you Merry Christmas, homemade by Julie, and I helped, not at all, but um, I cleaned up, I did clean up, I don't think that counts, but uh, let me lead us in a word of prayer, you come by, we want to say Merry Christmas to you, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your church, for the joy we have in Jesus, and the joy we can share with one another, it's amazing, you are amazing, awesome, powerful, wonderful God. You're the reason for our joy. And we share that with one another today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come by and say Merry Christmas. Solomon. Let me turn my mic on.